you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 13. Set apart. Set apart is the theme for our global impact celebration that will be starting on, uh, on Wednesday. And what I want to do is to lay a foundation for that, and I want you to understand that being set apart is not just something for missionaries uh, that are vocational, it is for all of us. In the book of Acts, it talks about the new church, the New Testament church as it's getting started and growing, and we see it growing in a city called Antioch. When you come to chapter 13, it says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. He says, set them apart. The Greek word, it's a one word in the Greek language. And the word for set apart is a word that means to mark off from others by boundaries. You set something apart, you mark them off by others, you set certain boundaries. It means to set aside a person for a particular task, function, or purpose. So what you're doing is you're setting aside this person and you said, I have a task, a function, a purpose for you to do. Set apart. This word was also used in Romans chapter 1 verse 1. When the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Rome, said this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of Christ. So he used this word to show that he was set apart to preach the gospel of Christ. But you see, before he wrote Romans 1.1, he experienced Acts 13.1 through 3. To where he, in this church, with these people praying, it says they began to set them apart. Now, these leaders were worshiping, they were praying, and they were fasting. And in the midst of this, it says that the Holy Spirit spoke to them. Now, I would just look into Scripture and say most likely they were praying about how do we reach the Gentile world? How do we reach this world with the good news of Jesus Christ? And so right here in this church in Antioch, they are praying, and then the Holy Spirit spoke to them. I don't know how. I don't know if it was audible. I don't know if it's just within their spirits. But the Holy Spirit spoke to them, and it said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to do the work for which I called them. Now, I've smiled as I read through this passage this week because if I was sitting in a group of guys and the Holy Spirit spoke and said, this is what you're supposed to do, It seems like you'd say, let's go do it. But that's not what they did. Look what it says in the next verse. It says, and so they prayed and fasted, and then they laid hands on them and sent them off. So they got the word from the Lord, but then they prayed and fasted some more. Maybe when they got the word from the Lord, it was set apart Paul, I mean, Barnabas and Saul for the work. Then they sit there and say, well, God, we got to pray and fast and find out exactly what is the work that you've called them to do. But through this time, praying and fasting, God made it clear that this is what these men were supposed to do. And they were going to take the gospel and take it to the Gentile world. And over the next 14 years, Paul took three different missionary journeys 
going into the Gentile world to spread the gospel and began to see it explode. Now, you can look at this account, you can read this scripture and look at it and say, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And Saul, as you know, later became to be known as Paul. And you could interpret that as saying, well, that's true for them. And that's true if you're going to be a missionary or you're going to be a pastor, then God sets you apart. But for 98% of us sitting here in the pew, Danny, this doesn't have anything to do with me. But what I want to do to let you know today is that you're incorrect in that we all are set apart to do a work that God has called us to do. And the way I want to do that is I want to walk you in reverse in order to prove it. Have you seen that TV commercial? It's a Toyota Tundra commercial. And it starts out with people in the backyard and a baseball field has been built in someone's backyard. And they throw a pitch and the kid who's up to bat hits the ball. And as soon as he hits the ball, they stop. And then they reverse everything. And they take the ball, goes back into the pitcher's hand. Uh, All the people leave the stands. Then the stands are broken down. Then the fences are broken down. They show the saw in in the background going reverse when it was cutting all the wood. They show people rolling the turf back up. Uh, And But throughout this, they're showing the Toyota Tundra that brought the turf and it brought the wood and it picked up the rocks. And it it does it reverse to show you all the things that that happen in order to get to this point. At the very end of it, there's a baseball that goes through the window in the office of the father who's working at home and he picks up the baseball and he looks outside and he sees his son and a friend with a bat in this old beat up backyard. And that's where he got the idea. We need to build a field back here. Well, what I want to do for you is take you from Acts 13 all the way back to where the guy's holding the baseball. And if you've got your Bibles, you can either go through it with me or you can trust me when I get to the passage, okay? Because this is the way it's going to start. It all started in Acts chapter 2. So if you think of that commercial, think about the man holding the baseball. It all started in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is what we know as Pentecost. And at Pentecost, people from all over were there in Jerusalem. And it says the fire of the Holy Spirit fell and the disciples began to teach and preach in different languages, languages that people could hear. And in chapter 2, verse 10 of Acts, it says, it starts listing the people that were there. And it says, they're from Phrygia and Pamphylia and in Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. There were some people there from Cyrene, that is North Africa. There were some people there from Cyrene. Keep that in your mind, okay? They were there at Pentecost. 3,000 people made decisions for Christ. And then if you go to chapter 4, verse 36, we're introduced to a man by the name of Barnabas, who many believe was an early convert to Christianity. And it says in chapter 4, verse 36, thus Joseph, who's also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. So you've got Barnabas, who is a native of Cyprus. Now, just so you can get your geography, Antioch is over here in what is Syria. Cyprus is an island which is just west of Antioch. So he is from Cyprus, and then there are believers and stuff from Cyrene up in North Africa. Then if you want to fast forward, you get to Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, 
is when they stoned Stephen, who was one of the deacons, who stood up and made a proclamation for Christ. And once he was stoned, all of a sudden persecution came to the church and people began to scatter. And in chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Everybody else scattered. All the church members scattered. So it's like persecution was coming, and myself and the staff, we stayed here, and majority of you just skedaddled. And you went to all the different regions. But when you went to all the different regions, you didn't go just to set up a new business. It says in verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And so when the church scattered, people began to preach the word. They weren't on staff. They weren't paid to do this. They were new believers. They, they, They knew what it meant to have Christ in their life. And so they began to go. And when they went to these different regions, they began to share the word. Now, go to Acts chapter 11. Now you get to Acts chapter 11. And when you get to Acts chapter 11, it talks about how the church in Antioch began. And watch this, verse 19 of chapter 11. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, that's what we just talked about. He says, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch speaking the word to no one except Jews. At that time, they were just focusing on Jewish people. And so there would be Jewish people in all these different regions and they would find the Jewish people, find the synagogue and they would share about Jesus. That's what everybody was doing until verse 20. And in verse 20, it says this, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. The Hellenists, these were non-Jews that were Greek speakers. And there were some people who got scattered, who were new believers, who won a group from Cyrene, a group over here from Cyprus. They went to Antioch, and when they went to Antioch, they started looking around and said, you know what? I got some guys that aren't Jewish. Let's share the gospel with them. And they shared the gospel with them. And when they shared the gospel with them, look what happened. And the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So now word got back to Jerusalem. They said, all these non-Jews are receiving Christ in Antioch. What do we do? They said, well, let's send Barnabas. Barnabas is from Cyprus, which is real close to Antioch. So it only makes sense. So they send Barnabas down there. Barnabas gets down there. He says, this is great. The revival continued. And he says, and I know just the man who needs to come over here and help this. And he went and found Saul and brought Saul, who we later know as Paul, to work in Antioch. And what Paul did was it says that he spent one year and he discipled the believers. And it says in verse 25 and verse 26, it says, for a whole year, they met with the church and they taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. The whole center of, of the, of, of Christianity shifted from Jerusalem to the city of Antioch. And now here in Antioch, they were first called Christians and Saul was there and he was preaching to them and he was discipling them. And so all of a sudden you see this great stuff happening. And then Saul is there. And if you turn over like to the chapter 13, this is when they lay hands on him and he gets ready to head out on the missionary journey. 
But I don't want you to focus on 13 verses 1 through 3. I want you to come back to chapter 11 verse 20. There were some men who decided to share the gospel with those who were not Jews. We don't know who those men are or women. We don't know who they are. But they are the ones that came and they shared. They, got, they were run out of Jerusalem. They traveled to Antioch. They shared the gospel with non-Jews. And all of a sudden, Antioch began to explode. And then all of a sudden, you began to see that uh, we're going to set apart Barnabas and Saul. And they're going to take a missionary journey. And it's going to completely change everything. Christianity explodes from that point forward. So who were those guys or gals? Do you know? I don't. Bible doesn't say who they are. But what I do know is they were set apart. They were set apart to do the work that God had called them. And they were set apart to tell others about the love of Jesus Christ. They weren't sent out from their church. They were running. <laughs> they were scared of the persecution. They scattered. But then as they scattered and they went out, they said, let's preach the gospel. And that's exactly what they did. Well, you may look at that and you say, well, Danny, that was then. But what about now? I'm really glad you asked because now I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. All right? Ephesians chapter 2. The video we just showed you highlighted a verse. and It was Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Now, in order to get to verse 10, you need to know what happened in verse 8 and 9. Paul writing to this church at Ephesus, talks about salvation. Look, look what he says in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. A verse that we use constantly, we talk about salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. So he's talking to this church saying, this is how you're saved. You're saved by the grace of God and through faith in Jesus Christ, not of any works that you do, lest you should boast. And just when you think, okay, I'll make that decision, I don't need to do anything, he then drives it down in verse 10, and look what he says. In verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship. The Greek word for that is poiema, poiema. It's where we get our English word poem. So poiema, you are God's workmanship. It's not used often in scripture. But it's a word that when you look at the etymology of it and you begin to, to see how it's used, it is a word that, that can be translated like a, almost like a literary work. In fact, the New International Version says that, that we are God's handiwork. The New Living Translation says we are God's masterpiece. The New Jerusalem Bible says we are God's work of art. We're God's work of art. We're his masterpiece. And it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So what happens is, when you make a decision for Christ as Savior then God comes in and does a creative process. He, there is a new creation that takes place. You know, the Bible says that we are, we are new creatures. 
when we accept Christ as Savior. And God comes in and begins a transformation process. He does a new creation, and you are his handiwork. You are his piece of art. You are his masterpiece. And he he does all this so that we would do good works, and we should walk in those works. Poema. This word is used another time in Scripture. And it's found in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And in Romans 1, 20, look what it says. He's talking about God and the creation. He says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Now look at that. If you could underline, you would underline in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, that whole phrase is one Greek word, poema. Poema, the creation. God did a physical creation at the beginning of this world. He created everything, created our universe. And he says the things that he created in the universe, that that incredible masterpiece of all the physical creation, that's one creation. But then there's now a second creation. And that is once you receive Christ as Savior, then God comes in and does a new work in your life. And that's even more exciting than the first creation. You are his masterpiece. You are his handiwork. So God has two poetic masterpieces. The physical creation of the lives of men and women. And then the creation of men and women who've been redeemed because they've been saved by grace. Jonathan Edwards was the great, powerful preacher during the Great Awakening in the 1700s, and he made this statement. He says, don't ever forget that you are the subject of Christ to creations, and as a result of his second creation, you are his ultimate workmanship, his master work. You have been created for good works so that you may walk in them. That means you are to walk in those good works. It means that it is the habitual tenor of your life to just live within the atmosphere of good works. That's what we've been created for. And see, what happens is when you make a decision to receive Christ as Savior, it's not just a decision so you can write your name on a line, get baptized in a church and say, good, I'm set for heaven. No, it means that when I make that decision for Christ, that God comes into your heart and he does another creation. There's a recreation that takes place inside of you. And he creates you so that you are set apart for good works. There are things that God wants you to do. And once you make that decision for Christ, he then creates you in order to do those good works that will bring honor and glory to him and also to his kingdom. Every believer is set apart for good works. You don't have to just be a pastor. Every believer, whether you're a coach or you're a doctor or you're a teacher or you're a lawyer or you're an engineer or you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad or you're an hourly employee, whatever it is you do in life, You are created for good works and you can invest in people. You have that opportunity to invest in people for eternity. We are created for good works. So who were the people from Cyrene and from Cyprus? I don't know. We don't know their names. But you know what we do know? We know their impact. And because those two people 
or those grouping from those two places, because they shared their faith with others, we see this incredible movement of God take place a couple of chapters later. You're set apart. I'm set apart to be used by God for good works. So I want to give you something to walk out with. Are you ready? You got a sheet of paper. I want you to write these thoughts down and hold on to them. I want you to really think through this for this week as we go through GIC, but then I hope that these are life lessons that we can hold on to forever. Are you ready? Number one, salvation, second creation, precedes set apart. Salvation, second creation, precedes set apart. Now, you need to understand that the second creation, when God comes in and does a work in a person's life, it only takes place when that person makes that decision for Christ. You may be sitting out here and may not be a Christian, but you may do some great works. You may take lots of your money and do a lot of philanthropic things. You may be doing some great things for people here in Birmingham, may be doing some great things for people in other cities, may be doing some great things overseas. I applaud all of that. However, I'm telling you, it is short of what God wants to do through your life. Because that's all on your own, own, own purposes. That's all on your own design. God has something even greater for you. And in order to be set apart to do the works that he has called you to do, works that will last for eternity, you have to first make that decision to receive Christ. You need to do what these 18 people did here in the baptistry to where they came to that point and they understood that their sins were separating them from God and that Christ had died on the cross for those sins so that he could bridge that gap between man and God. And they made that decision. You are saved by grace through faith. They took that step of faith. And when they took that step of faith, they received Christ and they were born again. There was a new creation took place in their heart. And once that new creation took place, then their life was transformed and they are beginning to do the works that God has called them to do. So that when their life ends and they stand before God, the words they want to hear and I want to hear are well done, good and faithful servant. You did the works that you were called to do. But you see, that has to come first. Before you're set apart, there has to be salvation. There has to be that second creation. Number two, as a believer, you are God's masterpiece. You need to write this down. As a believer, you are God's masterpiece. There's so many Christians who are dealing with low self-esteem and are struggling with who they are. And, and, and I'm not as pretty as this person. I'm not as talented as this person. I don't make as much money as that person. All that stuff is rubbish. You are created in the image of God. And when you make the decision for Christ, you become a child of God. And God does a creative work in you. And it says you are tailor-made. You are hand-designed. You are an original masterpiece of God. And I'm not just telling you. This is what God's word says. You are God's workmanship. And because of that, you need to feel great about who you are in Christ. And to know that he, he did that change in you because he has some things for you to do. And there's some things that you do that no one else can. And he says, I've got a purpose for you. And so next time you're, you're feeling low and you're feeling down. And we all have those times where our, our self-esteem just keeps getting attacked by the world and by others. And when that begins to chip away at us, you just need to bow up and read God's word and look back in there and look back in Ephesians. And realize I am God's masterpiece. Jesus Christ died for me. 
gave me the opportunity to make that decision for him. And when I made that decision, God's spirit came in and he's doing a transforming work even today. And there's a constant transforming, shaping, molding. But he looks at me as his beautiful masterpiece. You're a display of God's glory. Let me tell you the third. Master works of art are to be displayed, not hidden in the basement. Master works of art are to be displayed, not hidden in the basement. Now, I don't know how many of y'all buy masterpieces of art, but if you ever went somewhere and you bought a, what you would consider a masterpiece, a beautiful piece of art, and you paid a lot of money for that, sometimes if you don't pay much, it's probably not a big masterpiece, but you know, you pay a big money, all of a sudden you got, this is, this is beautiful. This painting has spoken to me. I want to have it. I want to put it in my home. I want this sculpture to be in my home. I want this piece of pottery, whatever it may be. This some masterpiece. When you buy it, you don't just take it home and then go down in the basement and stick it between some other canvases and just leave it there, do you? No. You display it. And you display it because you're proud of it. It speaks to you. And you said, I want to display this. And every time I go buy it, you know, it speaks to me beautiful. You are God's masterpiece. And a masterwork of art is not to be hidden. It is to be displayed. Jesus said this on the Sermon on the Mount. When he says, you do not light a candle and stick it under a bushel. When you light a candle, you put it on the candle stand so it shines light. And when Christ saved you, He came into his life. The Holy Spirit came into your life. There was a recreation that took place. A second creation took place in your heart. And you are his masterpiece. And he does not want you to go hiding down in the basement. He wants you to be on display. And we need to be, as believers, audio-visual Christians. We need to talk the talk and walk the walk. And we need to be there so when people see us, they see Christ. He says he wants to put you on display. And by putting you on display does not mean you say, well, Danny, I'm uh, I'm an introvert. Are you telling me I've got to be extrovert? No, no. I'm just saying just be yourself, who you are in Christ. But you have good works that God has called you to do. Do not be satisfied by just feeling uh, like, oh, sorry me, oh, pitiful me, and just hiding down in the basement over here, not using the gifts that God has given you. God has called you for a certain work. Every person here, you cannot count on the row and say, this one's got something, this one's got something, I got nothing. This one's got something, this one's got something. Every one of us. There are things that God wants to do through you. But what Satan wants to do, he wants to come in and chip away at your self-esteem and your self-image. And he wants to drive you down so low that what you do is you hide your light under a bushel. You take your piece of art and you go slide it into the basement and stick it between a couple blank canvases so no one can see you. That's not why you were created. And once you made that decision for Christ, you became his masterpiece. And he wanted to set you up and display you. Okay? And here's the last thing. Great pieces of art. Bring attention, awe, and adoration to the artist. Great pieces of art bring attention, awe, and adoration to the artist. That's what I mean by that. You put put in a masterpiece, and you put that masterpiece up 
in your room or if you go to a museum, once you walk by and that catches your eye, there's something in a painting that will catch your eye. And when it does, you look at that, and the more you look at that, you're enjoying the scene or whatever's there, then you begin to say, how did that artist do that? How did that artist capture that? How did they capture that emotion? How did they capture that scene? That's just incredible. You know, Janice and I are having a conversation. You know, my my wife is an artist, and she has many masterpieces uh, over here, and but she's been trained as an artist. I mean, that's what she majored in in school. And so it was interesting. I just asked her and I said, you know, whenever you look at a masterpiece and we've had an opportunity to gone to some uh, different museums, what is your first thought? And she kind of blew me away. I was not expecting the answer. She said, awe. She says, it's awe. Because I look at that and I just stare at it. I'm just amazed and how that artist captured that. And that's what got me thinking about this. Is that when we are God's masterpiece and we are displayed, when people see you and they see the works that you do, it's not so that you get the pat on the back. It is that they are drawn to you because of who you are and what you're doing. But then the closer they look at you, they see the Father. And they're in awe of God and what he's done in your life. And they began to get attention to the Father, and they began to give adoration to the Father. You know, if you find an artist that you enjoy their work, you will look for more pieces of that art that that artist has done. And so what happens is, is when people see our lives, and they see Christ living through us, and they start talking to you because of the things that you've done or the things that you said or how you've responded, you have the opportunity to then tell them who Christ is and the focus then comes off of you and it comes to God. Because they look at you, they say, well, I could never do what you did. You don't have to worry about that. You just need to get God in you. And when God gets in you, he'll work through you. It's not me, it's the Lord. Won't you put the focus on him? And when we are displayed as God's masterpieces, then all of a sudden when people see us, they begin to turn their attention to the Father. They give adoration to the Father and they're in awe of a God that could love us so much and offer the gift of mercy and then do that transforming work so that we could do the works that would impact people for eternity. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 16 of Matthew. He says, in the same way, he says, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. Did he stop there? No. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You be displayed And when they see your good works, guess what they're going to see? Your Father who is in heaven, and that's who gets the glory. You are God's workmanship. You are set apart for good works. So what will your response be? How will you respond to that? Well, before you make that response, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we celebrate a Lord's Supper in which Jesus set apart to go to the cross to die for our sins. And then he presents to us these elements for us to remember what he's done and to challenge us to be transformed and to share with others. I'm going to ask our ushers and servers at this time as they will prepare 
to distribute the elements. And let me just share with you as a congregation, if you're a guest of ours here, who participates in the Lord's Supper is anyone who's made that decision for Christ. And if you've made that decision for Christ, then you don't have to be a member of this church, but if you are, are part of the body of Christ universally, you can come and be a part of this. In just a moment, we will pass the trays with the elements, and I just invite you to take the elements and hold on to them. And after everyone has the elements, I'll give a brief explanation, and we will participate in that. So uh, if you will uh, just begin to get your hearts ready and to be prepared for, um, for God to speak to you as we go through this time of the Lord's Supper. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you for this ordinance of the Lord's Supper to remind us of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Let it also be a time to where it's introspection for us to, to look into our own lives. And, and Father, if we've made decision for you, for us to be thankful that we are your workmanship. And but Lord, if we have found ourselves sort of hiding in the basement and not being displayed so that you can receive honor and glory, may this day be the day that we say, Father, we, we want to be displayed. We want to bring honor and glory to you. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.